0: Our reading comes from a poem, There's a Hole in My Sidewalk, by Portia Nelson. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street.
1: Thanks, Chelsea. That was the word of Portia Nelson for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That poem will make sense and why we're reading it in a few minutes, I hope. <laughs> but if not, I hope you enjoyed it anyway. I'm going to read to you um, a passage of Scripture that is inspiring to me for a lot of different reasons, and then I'll preach from it this morning as well. It's found in Acts chapter 8, and it starts with verse 26. This is a, a pretty famous passage of Scripture um, known as Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, is kind of the title that we typically give to it. But there's a lot of... A lot of things that challenge me and inspire me in this passage, and I hope that it will challenge and inspire you um, the same way. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The Spirit told him, the Spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, do you really understand what you're reading? And the man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. And this was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water What would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Lord's Spirit suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of this scripture to our lives. Amen. I think that one of the main lessons we can learn from this story is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. I've been saying for well beyond four years now, but especially four years at this church, that we ought to be people who practice participation over perfection. I think sometimes we get too worried about having the right answers or saying the right things or not messing something up. And so we just back up and we don't do anything when the reality is all the Spirit of God was calling Philip to do and all the Spirit of God is calling you and I to do is to jump in and participate, to be part of what is happening, to be an agent in your life story and to follow the call of God. I'm not a person who does that easily, and I think that's why I preach that so often, participation over perfection in lots of different ways. I'm constantly preaching that because I'm not a person who does it easily. I'm not a person who trusts other people easily, and that translates into I don't trust God easily. I want to control everything around me because I don't want to be controlled. I don't want for somebody else to cause something bad to happen to me. So if I can control everything around me, it's all going to be good. But that's not how it works with God. And uh, I I think it was the fall of 2016-ish, somewhere in there. I got a call from Dr. Elaine Heath. She was a professor at SMU, at Perkins School of Theology at SMU at the time, and currently she uh, is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And Dr. Heath said, Hey, Ross, I've been hearing that you're doing some work with refugees in Abilene. There, are, I don't know if you know this, but there are over 2,000, at least back then, there were over 2,000 refugees from the continent of Africa, continent of Africa, that had been resettled in Abilene, Texas, by the uh, um, International Rescue Committee. The IRC has an office there, and they were bringing folks in from Africa, and our church plant was doing a lot of work with them. And so Dr. Heath had a relationship with a community of refugees that we didn't know about who were in in Abilene, and she wanted me to meet with them. So around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, a friend of mine and I went to a particular apartment, that we had been told where they would gather, and we went in, and there were two or three people there, and they had a, some food laid out, and we started talking, and before long, more people came in, and 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 Sarah, before it was over, there were about 40 people crammed in to a room that was maybe uh, like 12 by 10, and there were Enormous amounts of food being shared and there was singing and there was praying. And at the end of that time, which was about dinner time or maybe beyond, they said, Pastor, one of the people, they were singing in Swahili and in French and they were praying in English and Swahili and French and there was somebody translating some of the things and some of it wasn't being translated. And I was just kind of like, Oh man, what is happening? And somebody said something and the person who was hosting who translated English to me said, Pastor, we want you to be our pastor. Go down this desert road and see what's down it. And I started wanting to perfect the situation, George. I wanted things to be just right. And and so I started thinking, like, how can I pastor them? Like, I don't speak their language. They don't speak my language. The people at my church are going to be shocked when... All these African refugees show up and the way they worship is completely different from the way that we worship. And I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do a good job by either group of people. And so I turned it down. I'm sorry and embarrassed to say that I turned it down. Because my need to do things right and well and perfect Got in the way of participating. But it didn't stop there. The Spirit of God is really persistent. I got a call from Bishop Bledsoe. Hey, Ross, we want you to come to Lubbock on such and such date at such and such time to meet with the entire cabinet. That means all of the superintendents plus the bishop. And so I called my superintendent. What do I wear? I'd never been called to a meeting with all of them. I was nervous. He said, wear a suit. So I put on my suit, and I walked in, and I was the only person in the room wearing a suit. The rest of them were in jeans and, like, polo shirts and stuff. It's a total setup. (laughs) We sit down, and Elaine Heath comes up on the screen via Zoom, this new technology nobody had quite heard of yet. And she says, Bishop, I've talked to Ross, and he's a little hesitant, but I think that this community is perfect for his church. His church is one of the only churches I've heard of that's going to be able to welcome them in, and it's just going to be this great fluid movement of the Spirit. And I think that Ross ought to do this. She was trying to leverage her relationship with the bishop to make me do it. The Holy Spirit works in strange ways, and sometimes not strange ways. And Bishop goes, Ross, what do you think? And I said, Bishop, there are other churches in Abilene that are more established and are secure financially and could probably do a better job of it. And he said, yeah, I think I agree with that. Two times I said no. There's no happy ending to the story. It was a major fault of mine to not jump in and participate in the life that I was being invited into by the Spirit of God. I did the opposite of what Philip did. I was the one who would have said, yeah, I'm not going to go down that desert road. It's hot. There's probably not any water. Who knows what kind of people are hiding in it. I'm not going. Like, I don't know. But the other thing about this story that is heartbreaking to me is the eunuch sitting in a carriage of some sort on the way back from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship God, reading a text of Scripture and not knowing at all what it means or what it's about and saying, how could I understand it if there's nobody to explain it to me? Because see, what happened was this eunuch, most likely, we know this historically, the Egyptians and the Ethiopians kept really, really good history, like real good history. And so what would happen is, orphan boys, young boys, young men, and and oftentimes girls also, but because we're talking about a eunuch, we'll talk about men, if they were orphaned or if their parents cast them out for whatever reason because they maybe were born uh, with, with some sort of disability or something, they would be castrated and enslaved in the house of royalty within Egypt or within Ethiopia. And so this person had suffered lots and lots of trauma in his life. But Chris, he loved God so much that he still, for some reason, was drawn by God to Jerusalem to worship in a place where he wasn't even allowed to enter because he was sexually impure and could literally, because he was a eunuch, never become sexually pure. So he could not walk into the temple to worship Basically, he had to sit in the parking lot and hope he could hear the sound coming out of the doors. He went anyway. And on his way back, the Spirit of God caused this thing to happen where Philip lined up with him and they sat down and they talked. And Philip was said, was asked by the eunuch, Hey, there's some water. What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip goes, literally nothing. Let's go. Let's do this. They go down, and Philip says, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. A family that he had never had, that he had never experienced, that he didn't even know necessarily that he wanted, but he was wrapped up in loving arms and pulled into the family. And I wonder how many people throughout history have been pushed away by the church because they don't fit the social norms that we want them to fit, whether that be their orientation, whether that be their gender identity, whether that be their socioeconomic status, whether that be the state of their addictions, whatever it is, we push them away when the church, literally the word church should just mean welcome everybody. We don't care about any of that. All we say is, welcome to the family. Why shouldn't you be baptized? Why shouldn't you be brought in? But I'm afraid that instead we draw a line in the sand and we say, I'm sorry, you're on that side. You're going to have to change a few things to be able to get on this side. You voted for Joe Biden. I voted for Donald Trump. You voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Joe Biden. You happen to be gay. I happen to be straight. You happen to be a woman, so you can't have authority here. I happen to be a man, so I can. We draw a line in the sand. And what I want to say to you today is that any time we draw a line in the sand and say, you're on that side, I'm on this side, Jesus is over there. Every single time. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus sees a line in the sand, and he crosses over. Every time. That same year that I said no to the Holy Spirit, which technically, I think, killed the church that I was pastoring, It was Christmas, the day before Christmas Eve, and Michelle and the girls were baking something and needed milk. And a block away on the corner was a convenience store. So it was my job to walk to the convenience store to get the milk. And I crossed the street and I walked down. I walked into the convenience Well, before I got to the doors of the convenience store, a pickup comes flying into this parking lot slams on his brakes and i'm like man what's this guy in a big hurry about and as i'm walking past i glance over and i see a woman get out of the passenger seat she was wearing a texas longhorns jersey that's really all i remember about her and the guy that gets out was big man he was a big man he was probably a couple inches taller than me muscle bound like steroid kind of muscles uh covered with what i presume were prison tattoos they were up on his arms on his neck the side of his face part of his head i noticed that and as i'm walking into the door they're still at their truck like kind of around the corner but i can see them through the glass and i go in and i walk to the back of the room and i open the door and i grab the gallon of milk i'm checking the date make sure i get the old, the newest gallon you know and i get the newest gallon and as I'm, like, closing the door, I hear the door to the convenience store just slam closed, like l- rattling the glass. And then I hear somebody, like, kind of yelling and making no sense. And then I look over my shoulder, and I see the lady in the Longhorns jersey say, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. And I was like, what is happening? And the giant of a man is standing down the aisle that I'm about to go down, and he goes... You're supposed to open the door for a woman. And I was like, oh, he's talking to me. This is not going to be fun. So I go down the other aisle. And he walks past me. I can smell alcohol over the Pop-Tarts. And he goes to the ATM machine, and he's still yelling about something. And I walk up to the counter, and the girl goes, oh, no. Like the girl on the other side literally said, oh, no. And I said, it's not going to be a problem. I promise, (laughs) like, take your time. I would really like for this guy to be gone when I walk out the doors. I'm not going to cause any problems. I don't want to run from this guy, and I don't want to have to engage him either. Like, just, let's just relax. So she goes really slowly. He leaves. He stays outside in his truck. And I have to walk past it to get to my house. I guess I could have, like, gone around the block and stuff. But anyway, I come out, and I'm like, I'm just going to go home. And so... I walk past him, and he's staring at me. He's got the doors of his truck closed, and he's staring at me. And I go, hey, man, my bad. I'm sorry. But Kyle, he couldn't hear me, so what he saw was. (laughs) Which means, bring it on, man. He jumps out of his pickup like somebody has shot him out of a cannon, yelling. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I realized instantly, like, what I just said to him, what he didn't, the communication breakdown. And I said, hang on a second, man. I was just saying, my bad, I should have held the door open, which I shouldn't have, by the way. How long do you have to wait before, like, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 yards, 50 yards? I don't know. But it was too far in my estimation, too short in his. And I said, all I was saying is, my bad, I should have held the door open. He goes, oh. Oh. So I approached him with my hand out and I said, Merry Christmas. Oh, hey brother, Merry Christmas. And I was like, I'm taking the long way home. I don't want this guy knowing where I live. So fast forward, like, I don't know, a month maybe. I'm in HEB. Shout out to HEB. Best grocery store in America. And I'm walking down the aisle and I see him. And he sees me. So I can't go, <laughs> like, it's too obvious. We walk past each other. He goes, hey, brother. (laughs) I was like, hey. Just keep walking. But in my head, I've had real problems with that guy. Real problems. Like, I've preached about him several times, whether you know it or not, because I drew a line before he ever yelled at me in the store, before he ever acted a fool, before I ever smelled alcohol on his breath, before he ever jumped out wanting to fight with me, and I'm thinking, how fast can I run? How slow is this guy? I had already prejudged him based on his appearance before any of it happened. Remember what I told you about him? The way he looked caused me to assume a lot about him. Maybe if I hadn't made those assumptions, maybe I would have been more willing to hold the door open for a longer period of time. Maybe I would have been more considerate. Maybe I would have been able to say in the store, oh man, you're right, like I wasn't thinking clearly. Maybe I should have held the door open. But I had prejudged him, drawn a line in the sand, and what I know now is that Jesus was on that side and I was on this side. Because I don't know what kind of trauma had happened in his life to cause him to have the things done to him, to be drunk and driving on the day before Christmas Eve. Like, I don't know what his life was about. Philip challenges... Golly, this story challenges me. It breaks my heart because I wonder how many people we've pushed away I wonder how many people we've drawn a line and said, you're on that side, I'm on this side. But I also recognize that I do it way too often. Here's the crazy thing about this story. There's a a church, a denomination of Christianity that exists in Ethiopia today. It's the Coptic Church, C-O-P-T-I-C. They're called the Copts. They are the most persecuted group of Christians in history. In 2017, at one of their main churches on Palm Sunday, a bomb went off and killed a whole bunch of them. They have led millions of people to Christ over the millennia. They are as old as the Roman Catholic Church before it was the Roman Catholic Church, before there was the Orthodox split, the Coptic Church existed then. The legend is that Mark, from the Gospel of Mark, started that church. But historically, that actually can't be true. The time doesn't line up correctly. I don't know if this is true either, but I like to think that the Ethiopian eunuch is who started that church. I like to think that Philip took off, led by the Spirit to go do what he had to do. But the eunuch went back to the place where all of the other eunuchs were held essentially captive and dealing with all of their trauma together. And he went back and he said, you will never believe what happened to me. There's this family that welcomed me in and love me, even though I'm me. And guess what? They will welcome you in and love you too. And this whole thing started called Coptic Christianity. We don't know what happens with our labor. All we know is that we need to say yes, Chuck, to the Holy Spirit, every opportunity that we are given. And trust, as hard as it is, Trust that God will do what God does as long as we participate. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.